delivering high-quality, technology-centric podcasts around the world. This is MunchTech.tv, taking a bite out of technology. Hello and welcome to episode 483 of the Two Techies for Saturday, October 12th, 2019. This is the show where we talk about the week's most notable tech stories in around an hour or less in podcast form. Have been for the last nine years and nine months. We'll go for that. That means it's soon to be ten. On this week's episode, accessibility of the internet... Low effort in desktop apps. And Apple continue to extend their watch capabilities. Welcome to episode 483 of the show. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you're listening from and whatever you're listening on, however you're listening to us, whether it's cassette tape, Final disc, or more likely streaming us from one of the many providers online for podcasts, iTunes, Spotify. Uh, <laughs> this is good. I've forgotten them all. Um, help me out here, aren't the Google uh, Podcast Store as well? I mean, it's not even iTunes anymore. Don't forget, this week is kind of the end, the end of that. But uh, it still is. But, but for now, pocket, just podcast, Overcast, uh, tune in, tune in. You could be Stitcher. listening on your Alexa device. We're on that too. Keep going. I'm well out of ideas. Stitcher, Downcast. Castro, Breaker, many more. If there's any that we haven't covered and you'd like us to cover, let us know. Or we aren't done, although we, we are on an extensive library now, I think, over the last just under 10 years, we've managed to, to sneak our way onto a good number of platforms. Whatever you're listening, you're listening somehow, and thank you for doing that from all around the world. That's humbling, and that makes it all worth doing. This week in technology has been quiet enough, and that's fine, but it has still had progression. Sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes when you're thinking about the show notes and, and, and what's coming up on the show, thing, is that really mm, right? Mm. Desktop apps. How interesting can we make it? Because at the same time, sometimes th- these stories can be a little bit more mundane. And it's it's not that they're not worth covering, but it's just about getting an interesting angle on them. Because there's always something worth talking about on a story, but it's just getting that angle. But we've got it. We've got the angles with the accessibility of the internet, which is a really major and important part of the World Wide Web and the internet we have today. But something that's overlooked quite often, low effort in desktop apps, again, Desktop apps are being overlooked quite often now due to mobile devices. Is is there a is will there will there be a plateau in that? Will that continue? Is this just something that we're going to have used to, etc.? And then Apple's watch and what they want to do with it going forward. You may say why just Apple, but we could talk about all other watch manufacturers here. But Apple seems to be setting the flagship at this point. The, the, they're they're setting the pace car is what we'll say. Apart from that, um, technology this week we have had um from Apple's event. So Catalina is now available. It's Public beta. Go ahead. I was going to say, Catalina just randomly turned up one day. Didn't We, we didn't have any warning or anything. No. It just randomly appeared as an update, which is a little bit unusual for Apple. Um, <laughs> Someone hit the button by accident. Yeah. I mean, I've updated both my machines, and very much until yesterday, I was like, this is fine. What are people complaining about? Because there's lots of complaints online. Um, and I think just as I was, I was basically going, wow, this is really stable, I went to wake my iMac up from sleep, and it just reset. Started. Oh. Uh, and I got the, you know, the Apple bong noise. I got that mm. twice. No, 
never a normally good sign when that starts happening multiple times in a row. No, no, that's that's normally a cry for help, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but uh, luckily it started up the second time around. But yeah, it was. Uh, it was. I like to think of it as a feature. When I went to unlock my Mac, it went no, no, no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a fresh Mac. I'm gonna, I'm gonna restart. We're gonna have a fresh experience today. It's like, oh, that was, you know, really, really helpful. I'm glad that's a feature. But uh, the new dot one is in beta now. Um, it sounds like that's a little bit better. Kathleen is an interesting one. Kathleen introduces, introduces, sorry, a lot of uh, security and privacy stuff. Um, that you have to have an interaction with. So do you remember kind of back when Vista came out, we all used to mock, and even Apple spent some time mocking <laughs> yes. the, us- the user account control, uh, allow or deny uh, boxes used to come up for literally everything. Well, here we are, what, 12 years on, 13 years on, and Catalina is slowly starting to fall into a similar uh, similar kind of thing. Every, every app you open, if it wants to do notifications, you have to allow or deny. A bit like iOS, but bearing in iOS, it's, it kind of works on a as you open an app uh, basis, whereas on the Mac, when you first start it up with Catalina, a lot of people, if you're upgrading, a lot of people are getting presented with like 10, 15, 20 boxes going, allow, deny, allow, deny, allow, deny. Um, apps are having to ask for permissions to, or more permissions than ever to folders on your machine. Um, the standardized permissions to things like contacts and calendars are still there. They're like There's lots of clicking uh, after you upgrade. Um, it's not as bad. As, as some people I think seem to make out um, it just obviously the more apps you have the worse it is for you um, I don't really have a problem with it I see it as a good thing it, may, it does make it more iOS like in the permissions you have to set which I think makes set, uh, sense it's just it is funny seeing how Apple mocked uh, Windows and, and Microsoft and Vista for, for so many years over that only to then do it uh, a little over a decade later is uh, pretty funny other than that it seems alright no support for 32 bit apps is obviously uh, making life interesting for a lot of people i'm hearing the demise of itunes um, is actually making uh, people who make dj apps which is obviously a massive use for max now uh, making their lives a little difficult because they rely on the xml data that gets kicked out of itunes which obviously no longer exists um to reassure everyone the home app is as terrible as ever so we can continue it's as bad as it was in mojave if not worse um not a great introduction to catalyst but i know we'll talk about that in a little bit but yeah i mean 32 bit app wise i think a few people are gonna probably struggle more than i did i think oh, on my uh, my laptop i had none and on my imac i had one and it was an app that was probably made 15 years ago or something that i didn't really need so uh, yeah it's it's been it's been surprisingly all right otherwise i haven't been experiencing the sluggishness or anything hmm. yeah that's hardware dependent and so on but yeah it just feels with what you're saying what i've been hearing that it was I, no, not not a push just to get it out, but this that's not how it should be. This is the whole point running betas, running alphas, you know, it, because, yeah, errors will happen inevitably and things can happen, but it seems like there's a lot to it, that, a lot of issues rather than... That, I think, is exactly most people's complaints. Um, obviously, we've had a lot of complaints about iOS 13 over the past few weeks, but the flip side to that is we'll always go, 13.1 came out, 
not even a week later, and it felt like they had to get 13 out the door because the new iPhones were shipping with that, whether we liked it or not. Um, there were obviously schedules to hit and, and, and things that were relying on them. Um, so 13 got replaced very quickly. 13.1 is still not perfect, but it is a lot better. Whereas, as you say, Catalina feels a bit... They had to say October, bearing in mind we're only, what, 12th of October. We're not even halfway yet, so it feels like you've still got some runway. I do believe it came out on the 7th, and I do believe that does coincide with a with a historic date with Catalina Island. Um, so I think Apple wants to... Oh, well, that's it. important, isn't well, it? Well, yeah. Uh, you, you know but um yeah there, there was there's still like three weeks to go in october at that point as you say running public beaters it feels like all of this stuff could have been ironed out at some point um apple did commit to saying october so at some point mm. they, they they unfortunately can't be fixing bugs until the day before it releases that's not how software release cycles work especially at that scale um when there's so much riding on it um you know not deleting people's data obviously being a pretty key one um you can't just be fixing stuff um willy-nilly up until the uh, the last moment in order to, to squash the most number of bugs it does have to go through processes and testing and whatnot beforehand um but yeah i mean we'll We'll, we'll obviously talk about it a little bit more when, when we go on to talk about Catalyst in a bit. Um, but yeah. Tech events this week. Uh, Qualcomm have their 5G summit between the 14th and the 16th of October. India has a mobile congress on the same date. Um, do, 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 do. Google's hardware media event October 15th. October 16th, Netflix and IBM have their earnings. I think that's really all the interesting ones for this week. Yeah, that's really all we're seeing at this point. Busy enough. Until then, we'll head to the quick news. Three scientists have been awarded the 2019 Nobel Prize in Chemistry for the development of lithium-ion batteries. John B. Goodenough, M. Stanley Whittingham and Akira Yoshino share the prize for their work on these rechargeable devices, which are used for portable electronics. Professor of Chemistry Olaf Ramstrom said lithium-ion batteries had, quote, enabled the mobile world. The lithium-ion battery is a lightweight, rechargeable, and powerful battery that is used in everything from mobile phones to laptops and even electric cars. The Nobel Committee said lithium-ion batteries are used globally to power the portable electronics that we use to communicate, work, study, listen to music, and search for knowledge. Gamers are complaining they're unable to delete their Activision Blizzard accounts as they attempt to slow solidarity with esports competitors. The US publisher caused controversy by placing a 12-month ban on a player who had voiced support for pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong on Sunday. Users say they get the error message when they try to erase their account. Some suggest it could be deliberate, but the firm's indicated a technical problem is to blame. Some players in Europe have said they are able to cancel their profiles but have raised concerns that they're being asked to first upload government-issued IDs. Now some players who have been unable to wipe their accounts are threatening to tell their banks to block the company from deducting payments. Dyson, the technology company best known for its vacuum cleaners, has scrapped a project to build electric cars. The firm, headed by British inventor Sir James Dyson, said its engineers had developed a fantastic electric car, but that it would not hit roads because it was not commercially viable. In an email sent to all employees, Sir James said that the company had unsuccessfully tried to find a buyer for the project. The division currently employs 500 UK workers. Dyson has planned to invest more than £2 billion in developing a radical and different electric vehicle project that it launched back in 2016. It did say that the car would not be aimed at the mass market. 
Speaking of electric cars, Tesla isn't done with whimsical software updates just because Netflix and Cuphead have reached your car. In fact, there's a good chance people outside the car will notice. Elon Musk has revealed that Teslas will soon have the option to customize horn and low-speed movement sounds. The full selection of sounds isn't available yet, but Musk is teasing goat bleats, rushing wind, and even coconut horse clops from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, just in case you want to roll up the traffic lights Arthur style. Musk added that he will consider allowing custom upload sounds, although we can imagine that being problematic if drivers decide their horns should blur a colorful language. Tesla also might be bound by regional requirements for specific movement sounds to alert pedestrians. The lithium-ion battery, the love-hate relationship we have with it, and by no means am I taking away the, the fantastic fate of engineering which it is, because no one's been able to, to pass it or, or do better in a long time. And uh, I'm talking about the fundamental technology, obviously, and, and we've, we've made it better as times went on. But it is a fantastic feat of engineering. You think about the batteries in any device, and, and you, you normally don't, most consumers don't anyway, think about the, the fact that that is a finite product. It will eventually, I was going to say break, break's not the right, right word, it will eventually cease to work properly after so many recharge cycles. We don't think about that because it is, it's kind of within the product's lifespan. You know, the product nearly gets old and obsolete before we get to that point. Not always, but it coincides with that fact. Speaking of the uh, the lifespan of lithium-ion batteries, I've, uh, as, a, as a quick update to last week's show, I uh, remember when I was talking about my watch having decided it was going to uh, pop its mm. screen off. Yep. Um, straight after the show, decided to order a, or the, or the battery and the adhesive from iFixit, uh, which arrived really quick. Uh, pretty cheap as well. The battery uh, is, uh, I mean, I've got the old one in my hand. Probably shouldn't, you know, as it's bulging and whatnot, but it is <laughs> tiny. Um, the iFixit repairability score on that thing is terrible because getting the screen off is the world's most difficult thing, I believe. But luckily, the battery had done that bit for me. So uh, prying the battery <laughs> up and, and replacing everything, that's sticky. The adhesive is, as you can imagine, everything on the Apple Watch is tiny um, and then some. And there's a tiny little metal lip around the outside of the casing that the display sits on. The only problem is the display, for obvious reasons, does not sit directly on the metal. There's actually a tiny little um, kind of uh, circuit strip all the way around, and that's the pressure sensor for force touch. So you know when you push on the display, this like little pad deforms, and it it knows that you're you're force touching it, and then it knows how much you're pressing it by. Well, what has to happen is that has a tiny amount of ad- adhesive that that sticks that down to the metal, and then there's the, the tiny amount of adhesive as well that goes on top of that you glue the display down to well it took us forever to be able to get this this adhesive stuck down properly and whatnot and it was just honestly i think the screen might come back up again and at that point i'm just going to get some uh, silicon or something and just like throw a big dob in there and call it a day um which is probably you know the jeremy clarkson approach to it but it might it might just work <laughs> um but yeah this this uh, i've got the the old battery right here um, and it is, you know, the size of the tip of my thumb. And this thing is powering a device that can last all day and do extraordinary things. And it is, as you say, we, we, we've knocked this technology maybe a little bit over or in recent times saying it, it needs to be replaced. It's not good enough anymore. But in reality, sitting here looking at this, it is amazing the power we're getting out of. Again, something that's the size of the tip of my finger is absolutely incredible. Um, it's 
same in phones. Obviously, you know, we're complaining because our phone ooh, doesn't last all day or whatever. It's not on all day. Bearing in mind, this battery is, you know, not a whole lot bigger than like four double A's put together in size. And it's definitely not thinner than that as well. Like it's it's pretty incredible what this technology is, has basically allowed us to achieve. Um, I think without such battery, battery technology, it would actually be interesting to see where tech in general is. Um, mm. It is really hard to find something that isn't powered by a lithium ion battery nowadays. I think like the exceptions are probably electric toothbrushes, which I think are still nickel metal hydride and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it really isn't everything from your watch to your phone, laptops, um, like the Apple TV remote. Got to mean like everything has a lithium ion battery, and it seems uh, at this point. And that's probably not going to change for a while because it's a technology that yeah, the developments are going on, but they're very slow and it's kind of one step forward, three, four back. That's just the nature of it. It's hard to contain energy in a safe productive manner you either store it and create an exact really essentially a, a ticking time bomb or you store a little bit and it trickles through and it doesn't really provide power or it doesn't charge fast or it charges fast but loses it quickly or it charges really slow but keeps it for a long time it's it's difficult lithium ion is the best of a bad bunch and i'm not saying it's bad it's fantastic because we didn't have it well we would know our driver then but um eventually something better will come along but it's a, a technology that has held us for for many many years and probably will continue to uh this seems a little bit weird no you're you're not leaving our app show us id is this really you nah <laughs> what oh dear i mean in this current climate obviously with with protests that are going on around the world um blizzard aren't really doing themselves any favors um i was reading yesterday on bbc news as well there's talk that uh gamers in support of uh this this player actually now want to flood uh blizzard with the gdpr request I imagine, to make their life hell. Um, it seems that Blizzard, obviously, not exactly known for being the world's most moral company. Um, like I say, aren't doing themselves any favours with this one. Um, it's questionable practice, this whole deletion thing. It feels like deleting your account and erasing your data should be a relatively easy process. I understand why uh, when they're saying, oh, we need to verify your identity to make sure it's actually you, as this process cannot be reversed. It's like, hmm, that's fine, but some of the biggest companies in the world don't need that for me to be able to delete my account um it's definitely very very questionable um i didn't include it in here actually but a story along very similar lines this week um obviously due to tariffs and certain trade bans in the united states uh, adobe has stopped doing business with venezuela i think um and i believe from what i was reading what it has actually meant is because adobe can no longer do business they basically cancelled everything but because they can't do business they didn't give any refunds or that's their excuse not to give any refunds because they can't do business with that country and it's just i mean here we are in this this subscription bound world and if you live in i think any country that's not the us or you know probably the uk or australia where where um it almost feels like we're not going to probably not fall out but you know what i mean um yeah. it's just it feels like it must must be such a sketchy time almost um to have an adobe subscription to then have it yanked from under your feet and add that to add an insult to injury to not get a be able to get a refund on that with adobe's potential
potentially pathetic excuse that it can't do we business. Can't do business. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much um, th- that might have quite a lot of vali- validity. We don't know. Obviously, Adobe are pulling the subscription because they can't do business with. So uh, I'm sure there must be a way to get around refunds. That just feels like low effort on Adobe's behalf. Um, and I hope they do better because that's a way that if you ever do get back into a certain country and do trade with, then none of those customers are going to come back because of the way you treated them. So, yeah, all uh, of a sudden, you've, you've lost a lot of your customers. Yeah, exactly. Thinking big picture there is actually quite beneficial. Mm. Dyson, thinking big, have scrapped their electric car project. And yeah, I... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Dyson could have done a fantastic job. I just don't know if... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, just Dyson and car, does that really... I mean, it would have Dyson been... Dyson kind of have to be that company that when they innovate, they, they truly do something very different, right? It would have been the world's most expensive car. There's yeah, not, that's not essentially what it is. It would have been three times the price of anything around it. And it would have also mm. been yellow, red, and purple. Because that feels <laughs> like the only three colors that Dyson know how to use. Mm, true. Um, it's funny, actually, because... Actually, no, I won't spoil it for anyone. Um, but uh, I, think, I think you're right. This would have been an interesting project uh, from Dyson. Um, we've said... In the electric car space, it really is going to be a more the merrier. Um, and I think it is going to be not just traditional automakers that, that are going to get involved in, in this space in the long term. Um, I think we are going to see technology companies turn up, um, which is going to be a little bit interesting, um, just because the automakers are obviously going to have a head start because building a car is their bread and butter. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think I think Dyson would have done a good job. It would have been really interesting to see what they came up with. But I can also appreciate the not commercially available especially when you read that they weren't aiming it at a mass market that almost seems like maybe they're aiming it at you know transport or something i don't know but um yeah i would have liked to have seen that and, and maybe hopefully we still can one day or maybe at least see the concepts or something um because it really does sound like and this might just be pr speak but it does sound like they had a good idea it's just far too expensive for them as a company to to decide to go forward which is unfortunately how how uh, so many ideas seem to end up next week Tesla released plans to design and manufacture a vacuum cleaner. Oh, we wouldn't put it, I wouldn't put it past Elon Musk. It's one of these things, you know, stick to what you know. And I'm not saying, you know, don't don't innovate, but sometimes, yeah, you, you can go a bit far out, you know. Would you fly in a plane that Apple developed over two or three years? Probably not, no, because Boeing and Airbus have been doing it a little bit longer. You know, there's some things we just don't don't touch, but maybe that's my opinion. Uh, and then, <laughs> speaking of electric cars, Tesla will let you customise the noise and the horn, which yours makes. I have to say, the, the horn, okay, almost but movement sounds that seems pretty risky because maybe this is mr health and safety speaking here um but the whole point the, the, the new legislation that came in within certain countries anyway was that the faster one of their an electric car goes the louder the noise has to be the more prominent um, and these cars have to make noise um from a certain speed on and quite a slow speed and that's because even some small engines today people struggle to hear and i'm talking about engines an electric car which is moving with no combustion at all the tire noise is nowhere near enough to alert people of your presence it's just not and the noise any any sort of ambient noise that is produced is kind of difficult for some people to sort of locate you know is that behind or where's that where's that coming from that's a because it's a higher pitch noise so the legislation that came in said essentially these cars the, you know they have to make a noise they have to make a you know a rumble or something to sort of make them noticeable number one to pedestrians um, most importantly to pedestrians because otherwise people are going to get crushed very easily and hit and run over I think this is uh, the last line of that the, the Tesla might be bound by regional 
federal requirements. It's it's don't know if we can speak for everywhere, but definitely in the UK, I imagine none of this is going to uh, going to appear. Unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but <laughs> I don't know. It get really annoying. Like hearing horns already is quite annoying when you're outside. Mm. Um, hearing goat bleats <laughs> be uh, yeah, quite annoying. Not well, I'm not gonna lie. Hearing the horse clock from Monty Python would be pretty funny. It would be pretty funny the first time, maybe the second time. I imagine the hundred fiftieth time, I probably would never want to see Holy Grail ever again. <laughs> but uh, that would be pretty interesting. But I think you're right. Um, the amount of Priuses I've almost been run over by in car parks is unbelievable. They just turn up out of nowhere and you can't hear them. Yeah. Um, and you're right. That slow speed is is like the feels when they're most dangerous. Because when when you're in a high speed situation with a car and and you're a pedestrian, you're visually looking for a lot of the stuff. But when cars are at slower speed, you do tend to rely more on your your sound sensory, don't you? When you're moving around a car park as a pedestrian, you're you're listening and you are still looking, but you're obviously listening for, for slower moving cars. And if they're just creeping around making zero tire noise and zero sound, then I think they need to do something. What it is, I don't know. I've always mocked supercar manufacturers that have decided to, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, supercar manufacturers have been known in recent years to pump fake engine noise into the cabin and sometimes even outside the car. Because obviously they're making engines so efficient as any noise is actually wasted energy obviously um, so uh, supercar manufacturers are all about making the most efficient engine which unfortunately means they lose some of that sound so a lot of them have been faking it um, but I think in the electric car world over things like goat bleats, rushing wind and coconut clops I think just some proper car sounds is what we need. As a human race we've become accustomed to the way a diesel or a petrol engine sounds as it comes towards us. Let's not go about trying to change that anytime soon even if it is electric. Agreed. As our everyday world moves increasingly online, the digital landscape presents new challenges for ensuring accessibility for the blind. Particularly, a recent court challenge against Domino's Pizza may be a watershed case guiding the rights of disabled people on the internet. Each swipe 17-year-old Maisie Gonzalez makes on her smartphone is accompanied by what sounds like the famous Stephen Hawking voice barking out orders at a relentless pace. Sometimes I speed it up to 350 words per minute. It depends on what mood I'm in, she says. She lost her sight tragically when she was two years old through retinal cancer. Screen readers translate on-screen information into speech or braille. They've broken open the internet for people who are blind or visually impaired too and those with other similar disabilities but it only works effectively on websites that are compatible. Sometimes it can be horrible. It depends on how the website's been set up, says Mrs. Gonzalez. If the, the website's digital infrastructure hasn't been correctly labelled, a blind person can be met with a huge barrage of button, button, button or link 1752, link 1752, one link, you know, essentially it's calling out a load of jargon that you're not going to understand um, from a hyperactive mechanical sounding voice. Hence the case here, um, Glomero Robles, who is blind also, brought against Domino's Pizza after he was unable to use his screen reader to use the company's website and mobile app. A federal court agreed with him and now Domino's has petitioned the Supreme Court to hear Robles' case in what could prove a landmark battle over the rights of disabled people on the internet. It's estimated that about 2.4% of America's population is blind. That's 7 million 600,000. This is something, and I, I hate to say it, it's, it's been overlooked, hasn't it? 100%. Um, I mean, working in this industry as well, I can tell you firsthand that it is 100% overlooked. Um, there are often time, money is not, you know, thought about to make it accessible for people. Um, unfortunately, um, we very much, we're very much an industry that, that caters towards, you know, 2020 vision and, and, you know, seeing, hearing, um, all that type of thing. We rely on everyone having kind of a, 
all their their senses um which is a which is a hundred percent not how it should be and i think as as web developers most of us do try our best with the limited resources we are given um understanding accessibility has become a huge thing in the industry over the past few years um we spent such a long time or designers spent such a long time learning about what makes the best experience but at that point it was the experience for, for only the you know the sighted and the hearing uh people but uh i think there started to be a shift we're hearing more and more that actually uh you know visually impaired or you know there were deaf people or, or any kind of disability are, are speaking up and rightfully making their case known for this type of thing this stuff should be accessible to anyone and that domino's pizza case actually goes back i think a few months or a few years now and it's a very very interesting one it'll make you uh think if you didn't already think very negatively of domino's i believe it's the same case i'm thinking of um from what i remember and and kind of the order of events this goes in is he brought the case against Domino's and basically the courts went yep right you know we agree with you uh, Domino's should be made to uh, make their app accessible Domino's are a massive company this is like it, it feels like something obvious they should do well apparently to Domino's it wasn't obvious and Domino's have spent the rest of the time fighting this as to why they shouldn't do this and people have had to point out the obvious I think that Domino's have spent more time and money on fighting to not make something accessible than to just make something accessible. Bearing in mind, making something accessible would mean you'd have more customers. But it feels like Domino's are just, I don't know what point they're trying to approve, but they are they are just going down a really slippery slope of it mm. doesn't make any sense, what are you doing? Yeah, type thing. Yeah. Um, I think for smaller companies um, and smaller websites and smaller apps, this is a lot more tricky. Um, unfortunately, you do you do need to pump money and resources into this uh, to be able to make your app accessible. It's not something that just happens by default, um, and it does need to happen at a lot earlier than the build stage. When you design something, you need to understand uh, implications it may have. The, you know, this person is right when they say uh, if you use a screen reader to, to browse a lot of websites especially smaller ones you'll just be bombarded with ids and names and stuff that will make no sense whereas if you're designing a website or an app for accessibility you actually find on a web page we put a lot of hidden stuff in um so you know when you get a button but it doesn't necessarily have a label like it's an image or something that you you click to do something or you know there's an interaction what we'll often do or what we should often do is we'll put a little bit of like a, like a bit of text in there that's marked as screen reader only. And it will basically describe what clicking this or what happens when you do this or what is in this box or whatever um, to a screen reader. A screen reader will read that text out, but to you and I, we'll never see that text on the page. Um, there's a number of other things like using buttons versus using links. Uh, links being an A tag is where you would, where a user would click and link off to another page or another web page. Um, people have been using that more and more for interactive elements on a page. Um, so people would, let's say, use an A tag drop a menu down or something um, which is not great um, we tend to favor buttons in that respect because a, a button doesn't imply it's moving to another page um, and things like that so it allows if you're going through a site visually impaired it allows you to very or to a lot more distinctively worked out work out what goes where and what does what each of these tags offers different descriptive elements
options and different accessibility options. The web is getting better. I believe the apps are getting better as well. Um, as a world, I think we are making headways into becoming a more accessible world, as we should. Um, it just needs to be... I think there needs to be a better learning exercise. Um, we're not often taught about accessibility. It is still, unfortunately, kind of a second-rate thing um, from experience in the web industry. Um, accessibility is very much an afterthought still. Um, it's a, we'll come back to it later, or we don't have the budget, etc. thing. It needs to be a kiss. Yeah, exactly. And that's not... <laughs> You don't say, and, and you know, right, well, no, we're, we're not putting uh, a ramp here for people who have reduced mobility and may need a, a walking aid or a wheelchair to get up because that increases the price. That, that, that actually, no, that's, no, let's keep costing. Absolutely not. And that's, it's no way acceptable to say that. It's no way acceptable in the same way to say, no, budget isn't there to include that online. And it's something I'm saying it's overlooked because it has been overlooked because you don't see it as such. You go to the internet, you don't see if it's accessible or not. It's only for those who actually need it to be accessible, whether they know it is or not and it's a it's something that n not many have, have raised and I, I guarantee you in most web design meetings and i'm not asking for confirmation or not aaron the question is not asked right this needs to be um, accessible for those who are visually impaired or or completely blind and that's really sad isn't it there were 2019 the technology's there it's it's actually okay to do it I guess the only problem here, not problem, the only thing that we need to realize is that there needs to be a better understanding of what is needed, how this needs to be laid out. Because yeah, there, there are content readers at the minute. If the, the, the site's designed well enough, they'll read what the site says and they'll, you know, it is accessible then. But it could be better. We need to understand what this person or what these, you know, the, those who are accessing it from that point of view, from who don't have the luxury of seeing the, the, the presentation of the site, it needs to be optimum or optimized for them. You know, they need to get what they need to get rather than listening to a lot of rubbish from a, a, a content reader that isn't necessary. I think your, uh, your building legislation thing is kind of a perfect analogy. I, I believe in a roundabout way, it's, you know, if a building is for certain use or is for over a certain number of people, then by law, um, things like ramps and, you know, certain accessibility things have to be included. Um, it should be like that for everything. Um, maybe if the company's of a certain size, you know, of a certain, I don't know, revenue, whatever it is, then accessibility for their for their online presence and for their apps has to be to be sought after. I agree with the people who go, why not everyone? But I, I, I think maybe, you know, fortunately, you know, Joe blogs in his, his bedroom making an app. It's a little tougher to enforce uh, accessibility rules and regulations mm. on them than it is maybe a uh, an agency or a corporation making an app. Um, and we've seen, um, just look at Catalina and iOS 13, for example, the absolutely huge leaps forward they make uh, on uh, accessibility and, and people who are visually or you know impaired in some way being able to navigate their Mac or their, their, their iPhone. Bearing in mind, Apple obviously already had a very, very good reputation with impaired people um, for use, but they added several massive layers to be able to actually control uh, via your voice now um, navigating around both systems which is a thing that actually had stage presence at WWDC which I thought was really really cool um, so yeah I mean big companies are doing it big companies can obviously afford to do it um, I think maybe it starts with it doesn't feel like there's a it often feels like you have to make this stuff up yourself you have to understand it yourself um, you have to learn what you can do yourself whereas I think it would be nice if there there were resources um, if there was a place we could go to learn about this stuff a place online let's say a you know, website that told us you know okay what's the best practice for x a 
and you know how should we do why and stuff like that uh, if it's laid out as a set of almost standards i think you'll find more people will just follow it because it's it's i using air quote easy um i think because we have to figure out so much of this just by kind of guessing and reading on the internet and, and forming opinions and whatnot i think that's probably one of the fairly big uh entry barriers at this point mm. knowing where to start knowing how how it feels because that's something you can't imagine it's it's, it's very unfortunate it's very sad um and i not enough is being done at this point in time it's you know we can turn around and say well laws apply online piracy laws and you know you, you can't do xyz and rightfully so you know you can't cyber bully someone and get away with it because that's illegal because the same laws that apply in real life apply online in the virtual world quote so why shouldn't this why, why doesn't this apply so it's something that definitely needs looked at and more legislation needs to encapsulate it hopefully dominoes have just had the <laughs> dominoes have just caused the streisand effect on this one you know all they had to do was, was sort it and fix it and, and but you know what they've raised awareness in the issue so they've done them they've done the world a favor twitter's new catalyst app for mac os catalina is not very good and that's not just to do with twitter um well the fact it's just to do with the fact that catalyst is kind of rubbish isn't it see i the catalyst is not this is this is why i'm so annoyed about this app catalyst is not rubbish Catalyst is in its first year, it has its problems. Um, but we were, and we spoke about this when this was announced, I think last year, we were very much concerned about shovelware. Um, basically, companies putting the lowest amount of effort into porting an app over to the Mac because, admittedly, in a roundabout way, I appreciate it's not this simple, but in a roundabout way, it's click a button in Xcode from your iPad app and out kicks a Mac app. We were very much worried that companies would put next to zero effort into making their Catalyst apps or their Mac apps, we should say. And it was a concern probably coming from the bigger companies, not necessarily the little ones. The little developers always seem to ones most effort create the best apps. That's always been the case on the Apple systems at the very least. It's always the big companies that put zero effort in. Um, and that still applies today. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. Twitter launched Catalyst. Uh, their app this week, um, obviously for only users, for only users, only for users with Catalina, and it is a hot steaming pile of absolute garbage. Um, it basically looks like they crammed the Twitter web view into a kind of Mac container because I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Um, the Verge put it quite well here. Uh, Twitter is by far the most notable Catalyst app so far. In Twitter's case, it's not like the new Mac app is a straight port of the iPad app running in a window. The UI is mostly different overall, but it doesn't quite feel native to the Mac either. It looks pretty ridiculous in full screen, and it does on the iPad as well, to be fair. And the Mac-style toolbar visually uh, clashes with Twitter's own below it. Still, hey, Twitter's Mac app, it's something. It's also worth pointing out that even more so with m recent macOS releases, you might want to hold off updating Catalina so it doesn't break everything which you've obviously already covered. Um, there have been some other great Catalyst apps that have come out um, and we've learned a few things this week. Uh, Steve Crown Smith on Twitter uh, put it quite well. There, there are a number of things that we, we did learn from the, the actual release coming out there. Things like you can actually just make a Catalyst app. The Mac is a pretty big one. that was a, a bit of an unknown before. Um, we were unsure whether you were you had to have an iPad or iOS app uh, to be able to make a Catalyst app, but it actually turns out it looks like you can just make a standalone app. Um, really disappointing to see Twitter put 
put in the lowest amount of effort. Twitter have really struggled with just apps in general. Like, for something that is basically the sole purpose of their entire platform, Twitter have never been that good at it. Um, for those who don't remember, Tweety was a great, great Mac app and uh, for a while iOS app way back in the early days of um, iOS um, and then in the early days of the Mac app store as well. I believe Tweety predates the Mac app store as well slightly. Um, Tweety was fantastic. It was made by a guy I think called Lauren Brichter um, whose name you might still see pop up around here and then. I believe he, Tweety was bought by Twitter and then I believe he might have gone to work for them and then on to Apple um, which he might still be there. I can't quite remember the order of events but basically Tweety was this incredible independent app. Um, it was a native Mac app. It was a native iOS app. Lots of effort was clearly put in and this was in the days before Twitter nuked third party uh, developers um, which they're famous for doing these days. Uh, Tweety was the kind of the OG tweet bot we'll say. Um, Tweety also helped invent so many things. Uh, I believe Tweety is the inventor of things like pull to refresh something that's now prominent everywhere. Uh, Tweety if it didn't invent it it was definitely one of the very early users of but I believe it was the first app. Um, Twitter acquired it and we're all like great you know Twitter finally gonna have good Mac apps and for a while uh, Tweety rebranded as Twitter existed on the Mac and then I think last year the year before Twitter announced no longer going to be making uh, Mac apps going forward which is obviously very disappointing so this came as a little bit of a surprise um, and I guess the flip side to this is without Catalyst we may not have a Twitter app for the Mac um, but we've gone from like in just a short number of years in just probably six seven years we've gone from high quality Twitter apps you know mm. specifically looking at Twitter we've gone from high quality Twitter apps because Twitter worked well with third parties they didn't nuke developers they gave them the tools they needed to literally almost the complete opposite now it feels like a hostile environment between Twitter and, and third parties uh, they can't even make a good Mac app now it's unbelievable Apple could give them all the tools in the world and it feels like uh, Twitter still wouldn't do it it's a shame because I, I, does, does no one realize in Twitter that make a good app you, you increase usability you increase user rate you increase user drive you, 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 does no one know that? Is that, not, is that just me? no? I think Twitter suffer from the problem that they have about 15,000 employees for a product that is literally type some text in and post it yeah, they have to justify um, that yeah it just it's such an odd company um, tw Twitter we've spoken about it over the uh, over many years it's like especially when we're talking about revenue and things like that it's like where does all that money go so it's like well they're running a massive operation for a comment feed <laughs> don't exactly know where all this money is going um, and they clearly don't spend it in, in improving their platform or improving their apps in any way they're very much trying to force people towards uh, using the website obviously um, and the native app on iOS as well um, one of the big reasons they, they started nuking third parties um, obviously third parties don't include things like adverts um, or promoted tweets or anything like that so uh, Twitter very much wanting to focus on that rightfully or wrongfully so they're definitely going about it all the wrong ways but just on a, on a broader spectrum for Catalina this is one of the things we were worried about we were really worried about low effort apps coming across um, and the Mac is already something where admittedly development especially over the past decade 
um, I think Apple have give ev given everyone the tools. I just don't think it's obviously been as easy as iOS because macOS has brought a lot of baggage with it. It's, you know, several decades older than iOS is. Um, so it comes with several decades of baggage. For example, uh, I think, I don't know if it still is or up until very recently, um, things like uh, variables or, or and things in, in uh, Xcode for the Mac were called like NS string. NS standing for next step. Next step being the company that Apple bought, what, in the 80s? Or in the 90s, I should say? Um, off of Steve Jobs. Like That's how old the stuff in Mac OS is. You know, it's still today, it's got references from, from 20 or 30 years ago in. Um, and I think Catalyst is, is, is a huge step forward to allowing people to hopefully make Mac OS development easy. There's just the flip side of, has it made it too easy that we're just going to get trash now? Um, I'd rather have, uh, would I? I was about to say I'd rather have no Mac apps than have just poor quality Mac apps, but I'd probably rather have poor quality than none. Don't say that. Um, <laughs> well, you, you know what I mean, though. Yeah, it's like, yeah. if no one develops for or a platform dies out, so I, I think. Uh, but admittedly, the barrier to entry was, I guess, high enough that it was only quality apps. So there's arguments in every case. I think Catalyst is a very good thing running forward. Um, I think it will allow lots of developers, especially smaller developers who, who don't have money and resources to put towards native Mac development. Um, yeah. Uh, hopefully, we kind of see the demise of Electron apps slightly. Apps like Slack and, and things that are all based on Chromium underneath. Um, I think Catalyst should make their lives slightly easier. Which would be in turn a good thing for us consumers. Hmm. What isn't well, what's good for consumers, potentially not good for developers, is Apple's intention. Um, well, not intention, but their repeated action of Sherlocking might not actually be good for consumers. I don't know. Um, but they accidentally might have revealed a sleep app for the Apple Watch, potentially making any other app redundant from third parties. Um, since the Apple Watch came out, Apple's positioned it as a health and fitness tracker. One thing it ha can't natively do is track your sleep. Right now, if you want to track your sleep, you have to download a third-party app. Might change soon. An app store listing for Apple's Alarms app for the Apple Watch references an unreleased sleep app. Based on the short description of the screenshot, sounds like you'll be able to set your bedtime and wake up in the sleep app, similar to how you can currently set those times in the iPhone's clock app. Seems like the sleep app would take this step further, presumably by tracking your sleep patterns to gently wake you up at the most optimal time before your designated alarm, just like other apps do. Wouldn't be like Apple to take an idea and steal it, would it? Oh, of course not. Although, to be fair, I think sleep tracking is something we were we kind of expected out of the Series 5. On the flip side, always on is not something we expected out of the uh, Series 5. So I think we got one and didn't get the other. And I think the reason we probably didn't get sleep this year is because of the always on. Apple is struggling for battery life as it is now, um, let alone wearing it through the night. Um, because this is being revealed in screenshots, it either feels like this is very close or that this was meant to appear in watchOS 6 and got canned at the last moment. Um, it's an interesting one. Um, Apple have obviously had the bedtime stuff for a little while um, mostly in iOS in the clock app. Um, so I think it would be good to see Apple expand on this. Sleep tracking is something people want. It's something I use my Apple Watch for. Um, I've got, I think, David Smith's uh, Sleep Plus Plus. Um, fantastic app. Uses data that the Apple Watch or already collect to be fair most sleep uh, apps do um so it just kind of runs some algorithms on your on your heart rate and movement through the night um and it can make a good guess or a good educated uh guess at your your sleep patterns and whatnot and it's pretty damn accurate
accurate. Um, so I imagine Apple would do something similar. But he did make the joke on uh, on one of his uh, his podcasts or under the radar. I think that uh, his app lives to fight another year potentially because I think even he expected to see uh, to, to see Apple come out and kind of Sherlock uh, his app slightly um, by doing sleep tracking. It is crazy that we've gone. I think we thought sleep tracking was going to arrive sooner than it maybe is. Obviously, we're talking about it like it's almost a definite, but we, we don't know anything for sure. Um, I think sleep tracking is probably one of the things where we're like, okay, so Apple have got the fitness thing down. Now they're going to do sleep tracking. But yet here we are, five watch generations down with no such luck. I think sleep tracking would be a, maybe a good reason for me to upgrade next time around. Um, it's definitely something I'm very interested in. We, we spoke about this kind of pre, uh, pre-September pre event. Um, I think sleep tracking would be really, really cool native to the watch. Obviously, it's something that potentially hasn't existed for a while just due to battery life. Um, so as soon as they can solve that, I think they might be on to a winner. But yeah, <laughs> Apple do do a lot of Sherlocking, don't they? It's um, It's a feature. It's not big news, but it, it goes to show, I, I think Apple are very good at this. Sleep tracking would have been, well, I mean, it, not necessarily ideal in the, the first or second, third generation watches because battery, um, accessibility, so on and so forth. But they're improving the device to, to sort of facilitate with better battery life always on, so on and so forth. So there are innovations there, if you can use that word. But, um, you know, <laughs> a pretty prominent feature. No, we'll wait until years down the line and then we'll release it and we'll talk about it and how great it is, even though third party apps have been doing it for so long. It's um, it's an Apple move and one that they'll continue to do with other features in the future. That does it for episode 483. As always, you can listen to further episodes over at munchtech.tv, our apps, munchtech.tv forward slash apps, if you're listening um, on your mobile device, that is. For our newsletter, munchtech.tv forward slash newsletter and our book, the ultimate guide to podcasting, munchtech.tv forward slash book and podcastassist.com. Last but not least, our interview with Steve Wozniak, co-founder of Apple, computing pioneer and engineering genius, munchtech.tv forward slash was. Again, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Until next week on 484, have a safe, pleasant and enjoyable week and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.